Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we got another fantasy file on the way. This time, looking at Antonio Gibson, the Washington football team's lead RB. Now, here's the thing, people. If you weren't super into the draft process last season, maybe you don't know. Antonio Gibson has not exactly been... Uh, you know, usually we get our running backs drafted in the top three rounds. We expect them to pretty quickly get a three down roll. You were running back drafted that high. Why would you not? But for Gibson, despite him being six feet, 228 pounds, sub 4440, swagger for days. Like you see every single thing since he's been selected, 6'6 six, six overall, screams running back. Except when you go back to Memphis and you see that he only had 33 career rush attempts, 44 career receptions. The guy was playing more of a wide receiver running back hybrid role. I don't know what they're putting in the water at Memphis, but similar to what we saw Tony Pollard getting. Obviously, they've also produced Daryl Henderson and we had those uh, you know other backs coming out this year. So Gibson you know, was really the one of the first or just, I guess, the most successful guy in that role in Memphis because 11.2 yards per carry that's freaking insane was just putting monster numbers up in terms of his yards created and you know being able to break tackles at a high rate Antonio Gibson did everything that we wanted to see him do as a running back, but 33 rush attempts like is the smallest of small sample size. Like that is completely insane. And it would have made sense if it took him really his entire rookie year to kind of learn the nuances of playing running back. As much as we like it to be this replaceable position and, you know, you go on Madden, you can just tr- put anyone in there and put up pretty big numbers. Obviously it does take a lot to be an NFL caliber running back, know how to read your blocks, do all those little things that, you know, us sitting on our couches and looking at spreadsheets, maybe don't you know put enough uh, stock into but that didn't really come to fruition like we were thinking okay Antonio Gibson after they got rid of Adrian Peterson before the year the situation was like we should get this third round rookie because look at their depth chart and worst case he's going to have the pass down role because why would the guy that played more wide receiver than running back not have the pass down role in this offense you know as Lee Corso would say not so fast my friends after week one, Peyton Barber pretty much gets relegated to the bench after he had like you know a typical Peyton Barber game, and Gibson becomes their lead early down back in week two. Like dream scenario, all we need now is for him to get these targets that we know he can handle. Oh man, JD McKissick, position high, 106 targets last year. Oh my gosh, look, I could not think of a more annoying person to get 106 targets at the running back position than JD freaking McKissick. Nothing against the guy, and I guess you know it's. Kind of like the Ricky Bobby all due respect thing. It's hard for me to trash the guy and then say, you know, nothing against him. I don't have anything personally against any of these players. We hate ADPs. We don't hate players, everybody. I've said that before. But with Gibson, like, the only thing standing in between us getting Gibson, like, top five NFL production, seriously playing every single snap, was J.D. McKissick. And it just didn't make any sense why he was being featured like this. It's almost like the Bears and the whole Andy Dalton situation, like, I'm fine giving incumbent players the benefit of the doubt. They've been in the system more often, but like JD McKissick was like the comfort guy for this offense and they acted like he was this long-term veteran like he played with the Seahawks from 2016 and 2018 and he played with the Lions in 2019 this wasn't even a guy that was like familiar with Scott Turner's 
uh, scheme. He wasn't, you know, some guy that Ron Rivera had coached before. It made no sense the amount of comfort that Washington consistently had for J.D. McKissick, who isn't bad, but when you're feeding a guy the most targets in the league at his position, you would like him to be more than not bad. And it was just one kind of underwhelming performance after another, and it just got even worse once Alex Smith was out there. And again, I don't know why, and we've even heard Ron Rivera and the coaches say afterwards that they were scared to put Alex Smith out there. I never Never understood why if you're so scared to put the guy out there and like you needed JD McKissick to be out there you needed a freaking fifth year borderline journeyman wide receiver convert he's the guy that makes you feel about better about playing Alex Smith out there on one leg just never made sense to me the pass blocking numbers do paint McKissick out better but even then people we're not looking at a huge difference. I do think blocking grades in general, RPFF, you know, people do a great job grinding every single play and doing their best with that, but it does tend to be a little bit of a fickle stat and I'm not necessarily going to go out on a limb and say, you know, just because a guy ranks five spots higher than someone else and, you know, our PFF run blocking, pass blocking grade, that they're definitively a better, uh, you know, pass blocker. In McKissick's case, yeah, he graded out way better than Antonio Gibson, but really, like Gibson has a good 30 pounds on McKissick also in two or three inches like I just refuse to believe that pint-sized JD McKissick as a pure pass blocker is you know worlds ahead of Antonio Gibson now was he better at just kind of meshing with Alex Smith, knowing when to stay in a block, knowing when to, you know, get away from the blitzer and go catch the pass? Very possible. And Gibson, as polished as he might have been as a, or just as, you know, better as he might have been as a receiver than a running back coming out of college, it does make sense that, you know, just getting those uh, fine-tuning kind of that part of his game, now playing as a running back would be difficult, but we just didn't see any numbers that really told us McKissick is the guy that should be getting uh, these, you know, that level of additional targets. That's the issue. McKissick, 106 targets. Gibson, 43. Like, 63 more targets than the guy? That's my problem with this. It's not that McKissick shouldn't get the ball. I understand today's NFL, you need more than one running back, but to have that sort of disparity between these guys when McKissick averaged 0.5 more yards per reception, only 0.12 more yards per outrun, but I think this is just due to Gibson having a lower target depth. I mean, Gip McKissick was being used a little bit more down the field. Because of that, Gibson actually averaged an additional 2.2 uh, yards after the catch per reception, and he caught a higher percentage of his catchable targets. So, you know, I'm willing to give McKissick the slight lean in terms of who do you want out there on passing downs, but 63 extra targets lean, that's where I draw the line. And people, it could still be an issue in 2021. That's the only thing stopping Gibson from legit being a top five, top six fantasy back. And I was just on uh, Underdog Fantasy with uh, my guy Josh Norris, and he was talking to uh, Washington reporter J.P. Finley, and basically they're all saying, you know, get McKissick at the end of these drafts. Yeah, if he gets 100 targets again next year, you are going to want McKissick at the end of your drafts. I do think a couple factors are going to change that, though. First of all, Alex Smith, the guy that, again, they needed McKissick out there for whatever reason to feel confident playing Alex Smith, he's out of the picture. Now we got Ryan Fitzpatrick regularly one of the guys known for forcing balls downfield, not being afraid of tight windows, not being afraid to chuck that rock deep. So I think from having a higher average target depth quarterback like Fitzpatrick, that's going to hurt McKissick. And arguably more of an issue is just going to be the pieces they've added. Curtis Samuel is, you know, pretty much their third at this point, kind of wide receiver running back hybrid. He's going to be out there. He's making way too much money not to be. Adam Humphreys was a low-key signing. You know, if someone asked you what team Adam Humphreys is on before this podcast, 
podcast. Maybe you wouldn't know. Now you do. Washington football team. He's out there. An explosive third-round rookie, Diami Brown. I mean, you use that sort of draft capital on the guy. I understand McKissick just put a fellow third-round pick on the bench for portions of last year. But I do anticipate Diami being out there in three wide receiver sets before too long. So basically, McKissick... He's still going to be out there as the number two running back, but the hope is that he's not going to be this, you know, wide receiver three, wide receiver four type they were using him last year. And because of that, that'll give Gibson a better chance to just win out the true running back snaps. So he was really getting on his way to doing that last year, people. And again, I mean, as a pure rusher, he answered those questions. Those were the questions at the beginning of the year. Can Gibson be a great rusher? And he was fifth among 47 qualified running backs in PFF rushing grade, tied for fifth in missed tackles, forced per rush. Tied 15th yards per carry. I mean, he was actually number one. This is pretty cool. Number one in stuff rate, which is a new stat we got. Stuff rate is basically what percentage of your runs went for no gain or a loss. You know, almost, almost like a you know, just six different type of success rate. But only 4.1% of Gibson's carries went for no gain or a loss. That was number one among all running backs. He still had eight carries of at least 15 yards. It wasn't this situation where... He was forfeiting the potential for bigger gains, you know. Like we see Saquon Barkley and some of these guys dance a lot behind the line. They get a lot of negative gains, but they do that because a lot of times they can take that thing to the house from anywhere on the field. So really, you know, Gibson found a good uh, kind of middle ground in that. And again, it was just surprising to see him already be this polished as a running back when that was the biggest question of his game. So hopefully with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center and with all these receivers now, we just don't see quite as much as J.D. McKissick because last year it really was injuries more than anything that kind of derailed Gibson he wasn't getting the targets we wanted but man like that Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys he ran for the three touchdowns and he also got seven targets and he set season high marks in targets and snap rates 65 percent I mean we might have been almost witnessing a similar Jonathan Taylor like end of the season rise Cam Akers we see a lot, a lot with rookie backs I think we were about to see that with Antonio Gibson and unfortunately he gets injured next week against the Steelers with turf toe he comes back playing through the pain but you know not enough to really get back to getting feature workloads they still gave him 13 20 and then the playoffs, uh, 16 touches. So he wasn't useless or anything, but similar to Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like I'm not going to use the kind of post-injury splits for uh, assessing where he's going to be in 2021 because I think that injury was playing a really large role into it. So, you know, credit to Gibson for putting together, you know, these really great performances without the benefit of a, tar- of a high-end target share. Here's to hoping, people, that we get that high-end target share in 2021. Because if we do... We are looking at the potential for Antonio Gibson to be DC CMC. And as much as I love that nickname, I think we actually have to adjust it to DCMC. Credit to Peter Overset, you know, one of the best followers you can find on Twitter, one of the best guys in our funky little industry here. So DCMC is the ceiling for Gibson because, again, he's already got the rushing, you know, market share lockdown. He is their lead running back. We just need him to get those targets now. And it wouldn't be shocking if we at least see that, you know, just discrepancies shrink because Gibson having this, you know, it was much closer. Again, if we take away kind of the targets in the slot or out wide and just look at pure running back targets, Gibson and McKissick were pretty close. So if they were just okay with giving Gibson a little more and getting that 60, 80 target range, that could be a difference between him, you know, being kind of a borderline RB1 and actually winning people some leagues. So before we get to our exact ranking, I want to give my PFF Lily stat. And I've talked about this a little bit just, just recently, but J.D. McKissick last year, guys, 51 targets from the slaughter out wide. No other running back had more than 30. I believe it was Chase Edmonds at 30. Alvin Kamara was up there. 
I mean, sheesh, people. Like, <sighs> that's rough. Curtis Samuel's there now. Adam Humphreys is there now. Diami Brown's there now. Like, Gibson should be getting those targets, people. I don't understand why he's not. He They used him briefly in that role. I talked about their stats being close. Like, he had that Baltimore Ravens game. They threw him the ball five times. He caught four of them for 82 yards. And if you look at kind of the plays he was making, like, they were lining him up outside, just throwing him short screens. And then you got freaking Antonio Gibson in space making dudes miss. So, you know, to force feed McKissick, just these basic targets not like it's not like he was running just these great routes that Gibson can't run just get the ball get it out of your hands and they were choosing to give that to McKissick you know we need to project him as getting some of those but hopefully not as many so with all that said Antonio Gibson comes in as my fantasy RB 13 at the moment he's in my tier with some luck these dudes could bounce up two tiers because again DC MC, God, that's hard to say. Might need to work on that one. Might, might still need to workshop that one. DCMC is his high high range of outcomes. So I have him behind Cam Akers, Joe Mixon, and Jonathan Taylor. Man, I get so much hate for not having Jonathan Taylor higher, but I'm almost, you know, leaning towards bumping Gibson ahead because, you know, Gibson at least has that higher end. I don't know. I guess Naeem Hines and J.D. McKissick are probably both going to be annoyingly involved either way. So I, I'm okay with that ranking. I'll keep Taylor ahead of Gibson, but it's a conversation. They're in that same tier. And my guy, uh, Andrew Erickson, who's always on this pod as well, uh, brought up a good point on Twitter just saying like, yeah, like Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, Antonio Gibson, they're in the same tier as each other. And we can have conversations about that. So again, I have RB13. I think his underdog ADP is RB14. I really wouldn't disagree with anyone that wants to rank him as high as RB10. So he has this this, you know, stupid high ceiling this year. And that really is what we're targeting in fantasy. It's first or last people, you know, we don't get points for coming in fourth or fifth. So when it's between Gibson and guys like Najee Harris, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift, Chris Carson, I just think he might actually have the higher ceiling, even though those guys are in that same tier where they could leap up ahead. So give me Gibson ahead of those guys, again, behind Akers, behind Taylor, behind Mixon. But, you know, if you have Antonio Gibson on your fantasy football team in the year 2021, I think you were going to be a Okay. If you want to hear more about Antonio Gibson and the rest of the NFL, I invite you to check out PFF's podcast network, which covers everything NFL, college, and fantasy football. Recap the NFL draft with Mike Renner and Austin Gales, two-for-one drafts podcast, or get the 2021 betting content you need with the PFF forecast. And also, people, if you want to go out there and play some best ball, go on over to Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football, if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Go to Underdog Fantasy and deposit $10 using promo code PFF and get a free PFF Edge annual description. That's promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. That's good to do, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I invite you to check out pff.com if you're enjoying the series. I am converting all these podcasts to articles. Which one comes first? Well, the article. It's not a chicken or egg situation, but I'm just trying to, you know, get extended thoughts on all these guys. We have three months ahead of us before the real season gets going. More than enough time if we want to grind to go through every situation. So we will continue to do that. And thank you, as always, for tuning in. So I'm Ian Harditz, and until next time, take care, everybody. 